0: So not to be a bummer, right? But back to school time, getting, starting to think about it now? All right. Sorry. Okay. All right. Well, I was, I was thinking about it and I have, I was traumatized by my back to school shopping experiences in one regard. Um, My mom would take me every year to buy new school clothes, right? Get geared up. But when I was younger, right? Elementary school or whatever, she would do this thing where she'd be like, go try those on. Like, all right. And she's like, come out, like, make sure you come out with them on. I come out with them and she grabbed me by the back of the pants, she's like, do they fit? Do they fit? And she's like, <laughs> like, yes, mom, they fit, please, please, please. So the other thing that um, I don't think this was unique to my mom that I've heard and that I know that parents do is the, um, oh, it's okay, you'll, you'll grow into it, right? You'll grow into it, see if this works, <laughs> right? I got too far away. All right, I'm not a cat person, but this was cute. If it works, go. And last one. Mom, mom says I'll grow into my ears. That's the caption. So this is actually, believe it or not, this is where we're at in the book of Philippians. That's it. Good job, Timothy. Good job, buddy. Um, We are, we're in chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, and we're going to be thinking about studying, digging into Paul's encouragement to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? In other words, to grow up, to become spiritually mature, to grow into something that's already ours, and that's the salvation that we have in Jesus. So we're going to jump right in, and I'm going to read... Chapter two, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even as I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, so we're just going to start. We're going to start. Ooh, well, there we go. Right in verse 12. I'm going to steal Marcos' stool. And we'll come over here. Because I'm worried about these two sitting next to each other. All right, therefore, right? So we've talked a lot about this word. Therefore, it is a connecting word, and it tends to it tends to scream. Um, and my Leanne's making faces. Am I out of the camera? Okay. All right. Um, it screams. Look at me. Look at me. I'm important, right? When we see that word, that's what that's what we should think. And we're going to think about in terms of. An indicative something that's true and an imperative something that we should do and response okay that's big big words but it just means the truth and how we should respond to that truth so that therefore points back to if you remember two weeks ago we looked at five through five through eleven Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. That's what comes before this. The truth is who Jesus is and what he did. And the ending of that is every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. Right? That's, that's the truth. So we're going to work on and we're going to get to what the, what our response is, what the command is after that. My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So Paul is super, super big on having examples in our lives, having mentors, people we can look up to, people who we can say, they're following, I want to follow Jesus like they follow Jesus kind of thing. However, our examples, our mentors, the people who are a few steps ahead of us cannot live our faith for us, right? This is what Paul is calling out. I want you Philippians to own your faith. You do it when I'm there. Great. Good on you. Do it all the more when I'm not there. We need to own, as individual believers, we need to own our faith. It needs to be ours. We can't rely on the faith of other people. Having said that, right, there will be mo- there have been moments in my life where I have been hanging on by my fingernails, and it actually has been the faith of other people and their faith that helped me through. And think about some of the gospel accounts, right? The, um, the paralytic that was healed, through, he was lowered to the roof and healed, it was the faith of his friends that Jesus responded to, right? So we got to have both of those things. We got to have those people around us who love Jesus, and we got to be we got to be striving to grow into that that maturity. All right, here is kind of the crux of the deal: to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To work out your salvation. First thing: what this is not. This is not earn your salvation, right? Salvation is verses five through eleven. What Jesus did, what He has already done, who He is. That's a constant. That is already, like for those of us who have wrestled with that and and come to believe it and live by it and commit ourselves to it, it's already true. That's it. Now, our job is to grow up into that, right? To grow up into that. It's something that's already true of us and we have to take an active role in who we are becoming, okay? Okay. You have to take an active role in who you are becoming. Our faith is not a passive one. Yes, Jesus does the heavy lifting, right? But we have to be, that, that fear and trembling, um, some people translate it in different ways, but right, utter seriousness, vigorous effort. Those are the w- the manners in which we need to strive after this spiritual growth, this spiritual Maturity. So it's not it's not physical, right? This is not a physical maturity that we're. T- I'm not talking about actually going and working out. This is a um, a mindset that we want to develop. And when I say mindset, I mean whole brain, right and left brain. We need to be serious about our study and our pursuit and the accumulation of information not for information's sake but for transformation sake about Jesus and at the same time we need to be very serious vigorously aggressive about pursuing the things on the right side of our brain our emotional health our spirit like the the way our feelings and our emotions are tied together that side of our brain actually is more powerful than the other side of our brain it works faster And if we ignore it and we just rely solely on what we know and the choices we make, one of the downsides of that is we become Christians who do not look or sound or think or act anything like Jesus. And we walk around looking like we just sucked on a lemon, (laughs) right? That That sour face, that's not what Paul is challenging the Philippians to. That's not what I'm challenging us to, right? This whole brain mindset development. Let's look at, um, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you have a church background, pretty, pretty well-known verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The task of growth and spiritual maturity is a lifelong process of continually laying ourselves down before God and submitting to him and following his direction and his guidance. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's easy. But that's, that's the call on us. Oop, back one. Go back. Okay, for it is God who works in you. Therefore and for work together in this, okay? Therefore points to Jesus, our motivation and the causation, that word I made up last time. The for is the how, right? It points to the power. How are we going to do this? How are we going to grow in things like humility and obedience, How are we going to become spiritually mature? And that has to do with God who works in us. Our faith, there are parts of our faith that are just mystery, is the only really word, right? The fact that our God exists, has existed eternally, in three distinct persons, but is still yet one, is one of the mysteries of our faith. But this God who works in you, is the Holy Spirit. It's the person of God who comes and dwells inside of us. I want to read to you a little bit of a longer passage from the Gospel of John that points out a lot of the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit propels us into this um, into this spiritual maturity. This is John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot, cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live in you, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father, well, let's just stop right there for a second. Make sure we have the order of that right. right? We don't um, obey God so he loves us. Right? It's, it's flipped. God is who he is, and we love him, and out of that love, we obey him. Alright, now I lost my place. 23. Thank you. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Those words you hear are not my th- these words you hear are not my own; they belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I said. Peace I leave with you my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples the night before he dies. And he's preparing them for what's coming next. He's preparing them for what's coming next. They will never be alone, right? A couple of truths that I wanted to point out from these verses. The Holy Spirit is with you to help you and he will be with you forever. He lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Teach you, he'll teach you all things and remind you of all things. A lot of times I have conversations with people, and like, there's so much stuff in the Bible, I can't keep it straight, I don't understand, it's overwhelming. We have to put the effort in to engage the Bible, right? But we have the help of the Holy Spirit working in us to remind us and to teach us Right? We're not left alone in doing any of this stuff. And we have the peace that comes from knowing that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. And his Holy Spirit is the person of God who, um, who reminds us of that. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Okay. <laughs> you just say no. No. <laughs> So that word grumbling is actually really cool. Somebody help me pronounce what, how I'm gonna try to describe this. It's onomatopiatic, it, did I get that right? Onomatopoeia, word that sounds like what it is. In the original language, it's like <laughs> gaga mouse, right? It's like, you ever, like when I get angry and I describe myself as grumbling, I'm grumble. grumble, Like that's, that's what this is talking about. It's a really specific reference to the complaints of the people of Israel as they were in the wilderness. They were complaining against God. They were complaining against Moses. They said, Let us go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back into slavery, back into captivity. They they were complaining against what God was trying to do in them and through them and for him. Even though he was there, he had a visible presence of him and he was doing these amazing things. They were complaining. So Paul is talking to the Philippians don't go back to the old ways. Right? You have this new life in Christ. Jesus has shown you a new way to live in humbleness and obedience. Don't go back to those old ways. So we have to stop and think, what are our old ways? What are those things from our life prior to when we came to know Jesus that still can sneak in and trip us up? We're new creations, right? But that still, we still have those inclinations, right? For me, one of them is how I view money. I spent my, my growing up years swearing that I would make enough money to take care of my family. I would, I would, I would just, I would make a lot of money. That was my goal growing up. And I felt like that was the best thing that I could do to take care of my family. And sometimes, embarrassingly so, um, especially when I get around my college friends who are all big Wall Street guys. It's hard to not fall back into that that thought pattern. Money is just one of those things. The other thing that I can fall back into is my view of people, specifically those people who would who have hurt my children or have hurt our church. And I, I read Jesus's words to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, and I get I get tripped up because the, the human part of me doesn't want to do that. Some pretty not nice thoughts that run through my head about those people. So I would encourage you guys to think about what are the things from your wilderness, right, that can trip you up. And they're not, they don't have to trip us up. We give them to the Holy Spirit and we say, I'm stuck. I need your help. Help me. We go to the people around us. We go to our examples. I'm stuck. I need your help. Help me. We'll shine shine among them like stars. This is the description of the Philippians if they take seriously this call to grow into maturity. And this is a reference right out of Daniel chapter 12. I think it's verse 3. And this is a prophecy about when Jesus comes back. And when the dead are raised, those who have walked with Jesus, have done everything they can to figure out God's will, and then to follow that, they will shine like stars, right? And that's what Paul is comparing the Philippians to. You have this new life. You are bringing light into darkness. That's that's the challenge. So as we think about this, I want to suggest you a couple of traits or characteristics of what spiritual maturity looks like. And I already kind of half-mentioned a couple of them. But the first one is that we would love more. Right? And not just those people who are easy to love. Those people who are just like us. Those people who we get along with. But those people who are different. Maybe this probably wasn't a good idea. But um, in my head, I'm thinking about just like all the don'ts that come up. Right? People who I don't like. People who don't like me. People who I don't have anything in common with. Those are the people who we as followers of Jesus, need to work on loving all the more, right? So love more and fear less. We need to trust in Jesus in the work of the Holy Spirit with things like our children, right? As a parent, we tend to fear, what's going to happen to my kids? What if they make a bad decision? What if they do this? What if they don't do that? We need to do everything that we can to help them walk with Jesus and to set proper boundaries and guidelines and all that good stuff. But we can't live their life for them. We can't control their decisions. We can't let that fear. And my, my boys are, they're grown men. They're 20 and 24. And I still have those, those feelings. <clears throat> we need to not, we need to work on trusting Jesus with our relationships. We need to be the people that Jesus calls us to be, regardless, right? And if 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 that causes, when I first came to faith in Christ, I had a number of friends just immediately kind of pull away. They're like, dude, it's you. I'm like, oh yeah, I think you're. <laughs> I think you're right. It is me. Um, but I just read about how the Spirit will never leave us. And then we're we're grafted into this new family, this new crazy family that is centered in, in Jesus. And then the last thing, these are really, these are hard things, you guys, right? Love more, feel that, fear less, and endure hardship well. And when I say that, I mean this, I mean stay, we would remain the people that Jesus created us to be when things go sideways. Right, when we're upset, when our circumstances aren't what we want them to be, that we would still be able to keep relationships bigger than problems, that we would still um, be able to look out for other people, that we would remain curious, that we would remain able to listen, that we wouldn't shut people out or ourselves shut down. That gratitude practice that Leanne led us through at the beginning is a great weapon in this fight. Right, when we start to feel that, go to that list. I would encourage you guys not to wait for us to do that again, right? Do that practice on your own, develop that list, get a list going. My list has got like 12 or 15 different things on it. And then engage in regular practices of gratitude. So when your circumstances do go awry, you're better prepared. And then you also have that list handy in the midst of that, that you can turn to it. I will be able to boast. Paul's boasting is not like our boasting, not like my boasting. Paul boasts in a handful of things, right? First, he boasts in the Lord. Number of times in the New Testament, he talks about how he boasts in the Lord. He boasts in, like I was bragging on Justin, he boasts in the Philippians. He boasts in the Corinthians. He boasts in the Thessalonians and the the work that God is doing in them. And most interestingly, he boasts in his sufferings and his weaknesses, because it's in those things where Jesus is made much of and a bright light is is shown upon him. Those are the things of Paul's boast. This term drink offering, it's kind of a funny thing. It's a sacrifice, right? It was part of the Old Testament sacrificial system, but it wasn't just a a Jewish thing. The pagan religions around them also um, participated. And basically there would be some other kind of sacrifice, an animal or whatever, and there would be usually alcohol that would get poured out on top of it. And the idea was that to the person doing the pouring, like it was a waste of, of a drink, but it was poured out to God. It was done on behalf of God. An easier way to think about it, it's, just, it's, a, it's a sacrifice, right? Paul is willing to be a sacrifice on behalf of the Philippians. And he's trying to encourage them in that, and it should not upset them. All right, verse 18. Be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul's doing a couple things here, right? He's reminding the Philippians that joy and hardship can go side by side. He's writing this letter from prison. And yet this is his joy letter. He talks about be joyful, rejoice, joy, joy, rejoice throughout this letter. And he wants them to share in that feeling with them. That's why we called this together. They're joyful together. They rejoice together. They pray together. They suffer and sacrifice together. He also wants them to be prepared for whatever might come. He's in jail, and he knows that they could come for him any day. I'll see you in the morning. I will most likely kill you. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. It was a Princess Bride reference. It just got thrown in there. Um, But Paul wanted them to be prepared for any, any situation, and he wanted them to move their faith of their own like we talked about um all right so what how I wanted to give an example of um what this might look like right not and it's not a a biblical example but we could definitely we could definitely carry it over back in the day um when Madison was in Trumbull was still a junior high school they had a football team any any Madison alone? anybody All right. So back in the day, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, and there was a football team, and you couldn't play football for the school in seventh grade. You were too young. You had to wait till your eighth or ninth grade, and nobody in eighth grade really got to play. They were just kind of like blocking dummies. <clears throat> First day of, eight, you know, I'm in eighth grade. We show up, and it was like we're going through camp. A couple couple days in, and we're running. It's you know, it's August. It's a thousand degrees, a thousand percent humidity, and everybody's just miserable and me and my buddy Frank were kind of like in the back of this we're doing laps and the coach yells out he's like hey it's this row the leaders are up here I'm like oh okay I really didn't want to run any faster but I didn't feel like I could <laughs> but the point is is that the coach saw something in Frank and I and he called it out he spoke a truth to us, and then he gave us examples of what that truth looks like, and then those examples were willing to take these obnoxious eighth graders in and show them what it looks like to play football at Madison. And then we were willing to do the work, right? So there's a truth that's spoken, the indicative. Jesus. Who he is, what he did, his sacrifice for us. There's the imperative. Grow up. Grow into your spiritual maturity. This room is filled with examples of people at different phases of their spiritual maturity who would be more than happy to have you tag along with them. You need to decide. I need to decide to do the work. That's what that call to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have the power of Jesus. We have His example. Right. We have the command. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We have the examples of our brothers and sisters around us. And as I was preparing, I'll end with this. The band, you guys, can come back up. Um. A couple of different commentators gave different versions of that shine like stars thing. When we are willing to commit to who Jesus is and to growing spiritually, to do the work to grow spiritually, yet yeah, we'll shine like stars. What does that mean? We bring light into dark places, right? We bring a breath of fresh air into a world that's filled with the stench of sin and death. People working on spiritual maturity are not perfect, right? They follow a perfect Savior and they submit to Him and they commit to this track of growth, right? We talked about how when people look at a church as a community, it's the unity that will draw them in. When people look at us as individuals, it's our spiritual maturity that will draw them to Jesus. That's our challenge, you guys. That's our challenge. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us this salvation for our receiving. Thank you that our place with you is already true, that we are already your sons and daughters that we are already blessed, we are already forgiven, we are already loved, we are already gifted, we are already called. And now we need to step into those things. Holy Spirit, would you empower us? God, would you make us the kind of people that do that? These aren't easy things, so we need you. We need you to do these things. Lord Jesus, would you work in us and grow us? In your name we pray. Amen.